Well, the Big D is back with uh, college football. John and Taylor, more knows what else uh, edition. Before I bring in today's guest, please subscribe, like, and share these funky Spectrum Sports YouTube pages. See all my content. Thankfully, we got through the hurricane all right. But uh, thoughts and prayers with people uh, affected in uh, the Big Bend and uh, other areas in the Southeast. Also, check out the Big D podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, uh, joining us from uh, Jacksonville, uh, hold on. Miller and Moulton, usually you see, you see him doing college football Saturday games for, for, for CBS and Monday Night Football with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, the David Moulton. So, uh, David, uh, college football really getting underway tonight. Well, yeah, Florida, Utah on Thursday night and a few other games as well. There seems to be about one good game a day, the opening weekend. Uh, the headliner Sunday night, Florida State and LSU. Uh, got a couple of big headliners week two, including uh, Alabama, Texas. And then, uh, you know, conference play gets going by uh, mid-September in week three. Yeah, by the way, I looked, by the way, uh, speaking of the Florida-Utah game, I saw the sweep on, uh, from uh, Brett McMurphy that Florida has not played a true non-conference road game outside the state of Florida since facing Syracuse in 1991. Yes, and uh, Syracuse took the opening kickoff back for a touchdown and beat the Gators. That's when Syracuse, uh, 80s, 90s, they were still pretty good at college football. But if you think about it, it's an amazing stat, 32 years. But if you think about it, they played in the SEC, but the Georgia game was always a neutral site game. So there would be years in which Florida would only have three home conference games. They play Florida State every year. And so that alternates whether it's a home game or not. So you could see where Florida, first off, had a challenging enough schedule. And secondly, that some years they would need to schedule three home games just so that they had the normal allotment that everybody else had. So it's a little awkward sounding. It's like, oh, Florida's ducking playing people. Well, actually, Florida's trying to get the same number of home games most years that everybody else has because they play Florida State home and home and the Georgia game's a neutral site game. You know, Oklahoma has the same challenge, in at least half the challenge, because the Texas game's a neutral site game. So, you know, when you have one, there aren't many teams that play a neutral site game. You throw a home and home rivalry game every year in the process, and you can see where Florida scheduling wise was in a bit of a quandary. You know, Georgia, for the longest time, never traveled outside the region either. They scheduled a home and home with Arizona State in the late 2000s. And then last decade, they did a home and home with Notre Dame. And it's like the only two times they've left the Southeast in 50 years. And I mean, for the longest time, Alabama wouldn't play wouldn't play anybody on campus. I mean, thank goodness they played Texas home in a way because that Texas game last year was fantastic, and I think next Saturday night's game will be good too. Right, Nick scheduled a lot of neutral site non-conference games. You know, usually against ACC teams. He did do a home and home with Joe Paterno and Penn State. I think 2010 and 2011 was the home and home Alabama won them both. And then they didn't schedule a home and home with anybody out of conference until uh, they did this Texas one. So, you know, even Nick Saban went 10 years without scheduling a home and home. And uh, just, just like uh, everything's changing in life, uh, college football is a uh, realignment. Uh, you, uh, Texas and Oklahoma joined the SEC. 
a whole host of schools leaving the Pac-12. Southern Cal, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington joined the Big Ten. Uh, who's who's joined the Big 12? Uh, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, correct? Correct. And then we'll see if the Pac-4 that's left are going to make it a conference again by grabbing schools from the Mountain West and the American, or whether or not Stanford and Cal are headed to the ACC and Oregon State, Washington State are headed to, I think they'll head to the American. There's a chance they could head to the Mountain West. But uh, if Stanford and Cal stay, then I think they will try to keep the pack whatever together. If Stanford and Cal go to the ACC, and we should find that out once and for all next week, then the Pac-12 will officially be dead. I mean, what? I mean, you think there's a chance Stanford or Stanford or Cal would join like the Big Ten, or would that be like too much? Well, the Big Ten's not offering. I mean, that's where Stanford and Cal would like to go, but the Big Ten's not offering, and. Don't know that the Big 12 is either. I, I think they might, but they're not right now. So Stanford and Cal are going to wherever it is they can find games for all their teams. You know, Stanford's the best academic, athletic department, I should say, the best athletic department in the country. For the last five years, they've won what's called the Sears Trophy for best results of all their sports if you add them all up. You know, they edged out Texas this year. I mean, it is a glorious athletic department, even if the men's basketball and football programs are down right now. And to think that they're going to be without a home for about two, no school produces more Olympians than Stanford. And Cal produces the fourth most Olympians. So believe it or not, this could hurt the U.S. Olympic team, not for Paris in 2024, but it could hurt the U.S. Olympic team come 2028 and beyond. Particularly, particularly for swimming. No doubt. No doubt. I I feel like one school that may end up that may end up dropping back a little bit is Oklahoma because I think of Oklahoma like when Nebraska joined the Big Ten, the Cornhuskers haven't been the same since. Oklahoma was not very good last year. Not true. They lost Lincoln Riley, Brent Venables, defensive coach came in, and Oklahoma was a train wreck last year. I mean, and the fact that OU's joined the SEC, could that be bad news for the Sooners? Well, I don't see how it's good news, at least in terms of wins and losses in the short term. I will say this. I stumbled upon something today, in fact, D, in which they asked the kids that are being recruited nowadays, the 15 to 18-year-olds, talk to us about your 24-7 sports. Ask them, who are the schools who's your favorite brand? And Oklahoma is still rated in the top 10. So while us adults may look at Oklahoma as vulnerable. Apparently Oklahoma is still resonating with the kids that they're trying to recruit. Now they just had a six and seven season. They're expected to have a much better year this year. I think they will struggle early in the sec and it will be interesting if Oklahoma starts producing seven and five and eight and four seasons, whether or not they keep their brand, whether or not they slowly become Nebraska you know, Miami has gone through this for the last 20 years. And interestingly enough, D, Miami still rated as a top 10 brand with the teenagers today, the power of, you know, the U. So, um, you know, we'll see. But there's no doubt this is a key moment for uh, Venables and Oklahoma. 
And for Texas, I think Texas is going to be just fine. The SEC, I think the question is, I think the question is, can Texas win? Because for all of Texas recruiting, uh, the Longhorns can't seem to win. I mean, they frustrate. I mean, well, Texas- they haven't won a conference title in since 2009. They're clear favorites to win the Big 12 this year. So before they get to the SEC and have success, don't you think they need to do what they're supposed to do this year in the Big 12? And clean house. The good thing for Texas, though, is that they've got quarterbacks lined up. Quinn Ewers this year, Arch Manning for two years after that. I mean, when you're set at the quarterback position, and Sarkeesian has been around championship programs, he should know how to do this. And it's not like Texas is ever longing for recruits. So Texas should be fine. You know, Texas should be one of the top five programs in the SEC year in and year out. You know, the question is, can A&M get there and stay there? Can Oklahoma get there and stay there? Can Florida return there? You know, those are the questions. Bama, LSU, Georgia, we're pretty comfortable with. We think Texas may join them. You know, can Tennessee do more than be a one-year wonder? You know, we've we've got some big questions. Can Auburn return under Hugh Freeze? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions out there, not just in 2023, but in the short term in the SEC. Don't forget Lane Kiffin and uh, Ole Miss. You know, that's a tough spot, though. I, I mean, how much more can you expect from the Mississippi schools and what they've produced, quite frankly? I mean, Arkansas. You, well, and, you know, Arkansas as well. I mean, look at who they're going to play every year. I mean, you know, if Arkansas throws a nine-win season on the board, I mean, can you realistically expect more than that if you're an Arkansas fan? I mean, can you expect what's Lane won, 19 games the last two years at Ole Miss? I mean, come on. Do you really think Ole Miss can do better than that? I mean, they'll be challenged now to equal that. Um so we'll see going forward. First things first, the Gators back-to-back six and seven seasons. They're over under this year is only five and a half wins. They have what most people feel is the toughest schedule in the country. And next year's schedule is even harder. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for Billy Napier these next two years to get over that hump, to do what Mike Norvell has just done at Florida State. You know, it took year three for Norville to break through in Tallahassee. And my hope is that Napier can do it by year three. It may not happen until year four. Um, speaking of the SEC, uh, obviously Georgia, two-time defending after champs, uh, looking good, looking good to make another playoff run this year. Ten, I feel like Georgia's only real competition in the East from Tennessee. We, I mean, Tennessee's was really good last year, but now with Hendon Hooker gone, how can uh, Milton – how will Milton be? Of course, Georgia's got to replace literally a whole bunch of guys. Got to replace Stetson Bennett. But the Georgia schedule's looking pretty easy until that uh, big-time November game and then Neil and uh, Well, Georgia- I mean, Georgia, quite frankly, Dylan, they could struggle for two and a half months. And the odds of them losing a game before mid-November is very poor. I mean, they've got a home game in mid-September against South Carolina. I guess if they're struggling, they could lose at Auburn September 30th. But, I mean, you know, home games against South Carolina, Kentucky. They got Florida at the cocktail party. They got even Ole Miss at home in mid-September. I mean, they got one challenging road game before they go to Tennessee the third weekend of November. 
and that's at Auburn and funny things have happened, you know, in the plains, but Georgia's got as soft a schedule as you can have to be a national championship contender. Now, not all of it was their doing. They had a home and home scheduled with Oklahoma, but since the back end of the home and home was going to be completed two years from now, and since Oklahoma's joining the conference, they eliminated the home and home, and that really challenging game got replaced by Ball State. So, you know, I'll be curious if South Carolina, you know, they got Spencer Rattler, a quarterback. They ended their season last year by knocking Tennessee and Clemson out of the playoff. I'll be curious if South Carolina can give Georgia a game. And then uh, from the West, uh, I am intrigued what uh, what happens. Obviously, we know what Nick Saban's done. But LSU beat them last year, and uh, unlike a lot of other teams in college football, uh, JT Daniels is back as the Bayou Bengals quarterback. LSU schedule is very difficult. They start with FS with FSU on Sunday night. Uh, is it is it still Alabama's party in the West, or can LSU join? Or is LSU and Alabama just like it was a decade ago? Yeah, I think the question is, can A&M join the party? Can Arkansas join the party? You know, Arkansas returns a talented quarterback. LSU returns a talented quarterback. There are not many returning quarterbacks in this conference. I mean, there's like only three or four of them. And I wonder if those teams, South Carolina, LSU, Arkansas, whether or not they will have an advantage. You know, the big question for Alabama is a quarterback. They're going to change their style of play and go back to how they used to play 10 years ago. They're going to run it more. They're going to be more physical. You're going to see more two tight ends. Quite frankly, they're going to take a page out of what Georgia's been doing. And Nick's going to try to slow it down a little bit. And instead of spreading it out with three, four first-round picks at wide receiver and first-round picks at quarterback, I think he's going to play more team ball, slow it down. Games will be a little lower scoring. Quite frankly, he's going to play the way Georgia's played. And I think he prefers that style of ball. And the big thing for Bama, besides they need a quarterback at some point to step up, you know, Dylan, Alabama was always one of the three best teams in the league in terms of least amount of penalties. Alabama was the most penalized team in the SEC last year at eight penalties a game. I mean, the two games they lost, they had 32 total penalties in those games. You're not going to win too many games. No. And remember, the game they were fortunate enough to get by against Texas, they had like 17 penalties. So Alabama's literally got to clean up their act and they got to find a quarterback. If they do, the rest of their roster's loaded. I mean, that game that game against that LSU-Alabama game could be one for the agents. Uh, yes, and it'll be the last primetime game that CBS does. It'll be uh, November 4th. It'll be in uh, Tuscaloosa, and it'll be fitting that uh, the last uh, primetime game that CBS does for the SEC is LSU-Alabama, since seemingly for the last 10 years, that's been the game in the conference every year. And I'm sure it will be a 9-6 classic just like 2011, right? I don't know about that. There were like two dozen guys uh, on defense alone that played in the NFL from that game. But uh, it should be classic. The one thing to keep in mind is neither LSU nor A&M fears Alabama. They've both beaten them in the last two years. They've played them tough in the years that they've lost. Alabama intimidates a lot of teams. They don't intimidate LSU, and they don't intimidate A&M. All right. And even Arkansas went into Tuscaloosa two years ago and played them to a one score game late. So 
you know, I think that's part of what Alabama is also trying to do here. They're trying to get back to being that really physical team that you just didn't want to play. Uh, Big Ten this year. Uh, I mean, Big Ten East looks like a grind. I mean, Michigan's made Michigan's beat up on Ohio State the last couple of years. I feel like Penn State's so underrated. We know what James Franklin can do, and then Sporty will always give you a game. So, is it Michigan and Ohio State in the Big Ten, or could Penn State be that third team potentially knock off one of the two heavyweights? Well, we've been waiting, right? I mean, they knocked off Ohio State in 2016 with a block field goal, and that got them the tiebreaker, and they went to the Big Ten title game, and they won it. Only Ohio State got the berth in the playoff, and Penn State didn't. And really, you know, Penn State has seemingly played Ohio State tough every year since, but they lose. They've played Michigan tough most years and almost always lose. And so it's time for Penn State to step up. And with a lot of people believe this is James Franklin's 10th year at Penn State, by the way. And a lot of people believe this is his most talented team. They were a young team last year with an experienced quarterback. This year, they're a more experienced team with a young quarterback, but he was a five-star recruit in Drew Aller. Penn State gets Iowa at home in September. They get Ohio State on the road in October. They get Michigan at home in November. It's a three-game schedule for Penn State, two of them at home. They need to find a way, state the obvious here, they got to get a split against the big two. They have to. Because of the three schools, D, Ohio State's got the toughest schedule. You know, Michigan plays nobody except Penn State and Ohio State. Ohio State's got to play at Notre Dame in three weeks. And at Wisconsin. And at Wisconsin. So, and we'll see if somebody in the West, if a Wisconsin or Iowa is big, is good enough this year to actually beat one of the big three in the East. I don't know that they are, but will you know what was it? Two thousand eight, we had the three-way tie in the Big Twelve uh, South when you had Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, Mike Leach's Texas Tech team that all beat each other and all finished with one conference loss. I think a lot of people are anticipating that maybe that's going to happen in the Big Ten East this year, the final year of Big Ten East. Yeah, before the divisions go away. Mm-hmm. Which I hate, by the way. I hate, I don't like the fact, I mean, we're going to have these 16, 18-team leagues and you're not going to have divisions. I mean, do you know how unbalanced the schedules are going to be? I mean, you could have the fifth best team in a league make the conference championship game, having literally not played any of the top four teams ahead of them so to speak, in terms of being better than them. I mean, the, the conference, the schedules are going to be so unbalanced. I don't think it's good for uh, college football. I really don't. Plus, with uh, the West Coast schools joining, it's going to make things even more bonkers. Yes, it, it will. I, I mean, you know, it'll it'll make it look more like the NFL, quite frankly, and I don't know that that's in college football's best interest. We'll see. Uh, Pac-12, uh we saw SC play, uh, I believe, San Jose State last in week zero. I mean, Caleb Williams looked like Caleb Williams. But uh, SC schedule was uh, not easy this year at Notre Dame, mm-hmm. at Oregon, and Washington. Throwing Utah for good man. man but- Listen, uh, the Pac-12 is loaded. It's absolutely loaded. It is going out with a bang. USC, Utah, Oregon, Washington. Listen, a lot of people I've seen, Bud Elliott, who knows more about college football than I've forgotten, okay, he actually thinks UCLA is a sleeper in the Pac-12, and they're picked in most places to be the sixth best team in the league. My sleeper team's Oregon State. 
who returns a quarterback who I think won nine games last year. And also I think Oregon state's going to play with the ultimate chip on their shoulder because everybody's abandoning them. And I think they're going to take it out on them. That's my, my TCU pick D of 2023, uh, the Beavers who won 10 games last year, including a bowl. Okay. Oregon state to win the pac 12. That's my, that's my out there pick of the year. And and Oregon State, I believe Oregon State beat Oregon in the Civil War and gave USC a doozy of a game. I, re- I remember watching in that game. I'm like, SC's not going to win. And then Caleb Williams was Caleb Williams. They the host they host Utah in a short week. They host UCLA. They host Washington. They don't play USC. Now they do have to play the Civil War on the road. That's the other thing I hate about this. Are we really not going to play the Civil War? We're not going to play the Apple Cup. I mean, at least Utah's joined in the Big 12, so now we can be guaranteed to the Holy War, BYU and Utah, every year. Okay? I, I mean, come on. The, college sports is about rivalries and angst. Okay? You can't – and the one leads to the other. You can't eliminate the rivalries. It's a disgrace that Texas and A&M haven't played for a dozen years. It's an absolute disgrace. It's a disgrace that Oklahoma and Nebraska don't play anymore. I mean, I can go on and on. I, I have heard that uh, Oregon and Oregon State want to continue the Civil War, and uh, same thing with uh, Washington, Washington State. Or oh, like, a, why don't Notre Dame and Michigan play every year? Well, uh, <laughs> I, part of that is you know Michigan being a little hostile that they haven't joined the conference after two invites. They are apparently scheduling themselves in ten years, twenty thirty three. Apparently, they're going to play again. Oh, but yeah. I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I mean, rivalries is what make college sports. And then uh, Big 12, uh, I know Texas goes to Alabama, but is this Texas time to finally win a Big 12 conference conference title game? I'm sorry, I missed that. Say that again. uh, I know Texas goes to Alabama in nine days, but is this Texas year to finally win a Big 12? Leave the Big 12 with a conference. Well, if they don't, I don't think it's a good sign for them entering the SEC. I mean, they're clearly the most talented team in the conference. And it's time for them to win it. It just is. It could very well come down to, by the way, Texas Tech at Texas. Final game of the year for a spot in the Big 12 title game. Yeah, Red, Red Raiders are picked to finish fourth in that league, and they bring a lot of people back. There are there are a lot of people that think the Red Raiders are the TCU of the conference this year. Plus, don't, don't sleep on K State, yeah, who's the defending cool. champs, by the way. And I think Texas Tech plays Oregon week two, right? Week two, week three. Hmm. Have to check that. They do. It's in Lubbock too. Oregon at Tech week two. And then ACC, uh, Clemson, and FSU because, I mean, everybody's thinking Clemson will have the cakewalk, but FSU finished the season strong. And well, uh, we know what Mike Novell did at the end of the year. And if FSU beats LSU on Sunday, look out. Well, I have a feeling that Clemson and Florida State are going to play twice. They meet in Clemson week four. And then can somebody upset the apple cart and get in between them so that they don't meet again in Charlotte? You know, one team to look out for is Louisville. Louisville doesn't play Clemson, Florida State, or North Carolina this year. So they've got the schedule, new coach and Brom, all right, going back to his alma mater. But Louisville's got the schedule to upset the apple cart in the ACC. But clearly, 
the two best teams in the league are Clemson and Florida State. I don't think it would shock many people if they pl- end up playing twice this year. Okay, uh, from college football to the NFL, uh, this Jonathan Taylor story has befuddled me because I was wondering, like, is he hurt or, the co- or does he want a new contract? Because it seems like every running back didn't want – was franchised but never got a new but didn't get a new deal. Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, uh, who's the uh guy? Who's the guy with the Raiders? Like, uh, Josh Jacobs. Thank you. But uh, nobody got a long-term deal, and uh, now the Colts put the uh, Taylor on the pup list, so he's going for the first four weeks. So, what is happening with JT and the Colts? Well, uh, clearly the Colts didn't want to trade him. Uh, that was a charade in terms of, hey, go find a trade because his agent go- found a couple that equaled the value that the Colts said that they needed in order to trade them. And then the Colts then upped the ante. And so that was a charade by the Colts. I think JT has turned around and said, well, you know, my ankle still hurts. You know, offseason surgery, it still hurts. So, you know, I don't think he feels very motivated to play for them because whether he's on the pup list or he's playing, he gets paid the same amount of money and he wants out of there. So, Dylan, I think what has to happen is in the next month or so, the Colts have to figure out, can they repair this relationship with JT? And if they can't, then they have to get real as to what the alternatives are because he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. and if you don't want to pay him, are you really going to tag him? Because guess what the tag is? The tag is paying him. Now, it's not really paying him, but it's paying him. It's 10 plus million a year fully guaranteed. And you've indicated that you're not interested in that. So are you going to tag him and play that game? Uh, so I have a feeling this is going to get resolved. The trade deadline's Halloween. You know, I expect something to happen one way or the other where the Colts realize we're headed to divorce and I'm going to get what I can, or that JT and the Colts kiss and make up. But this is all being driven by the owner. This is all being driven by the owner, and it's between the player and the owner, and the organization and the GM are caught in the middle. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think Chris about I don't think this is really valid because we've heard everything spew his mouth a few times, but you know, I mean, the Colts were different because they had Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck there. But now it feels like the Colts are going all over the place. They trade and cross. Well, and they really could use them, D, because think about it. They want to run a power running offense. The head coach is the offense coordinator of the Eagles last year. What was the first thing he did two years ago with Jalen Hurts? He turned them into a power running team. And then they went and got the wide receivers to put around it to open up the offense. Well, the Colts don't have the wide receivers, but they had the tailback. You know, they could have Anthony Richardson really needs a Jonathan Taylor. Okay, so this is a loss for the development of their quarterback. And I think that the sooner the Colts realize this, it's why I thought they were going to make a deal with the Dolphins because at least they were going to get a running back back in return. And they need one. They don't have any good running backs. They need, I mean, I'm surprised they haven't signed Leonard Fournette. I'm surprised a couple of running backs out there, I'm surprised they haven't signed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dearness Johnson's buried at third string in Jacksonville. I mean, pick him up. I'm I'm surprised that the Colts are not resolving this because I think by not having a proven running back 
and I thought they would get Mostert in the trade with the Dolphins, that it's hurting Richardson's development. And that's really what the whole franchise is about the next two years, is developing the quarterback. And because right now, I think the Colts could be one of the NFL's worst teams, and then ended up getting Malton Harrison Jr. Uh, it's quite possible, although Arizona, remember, has their pick and Houston's pick. And so, you know, Arizona's thinking we're going to get two top five picks and maybe the top two. Yeah, get Caleb Williams and Morgan Harrison Jr. Mm-hmm. And then try to unload Kyler Murray. Because I think Arizona, I don't know if Kyler's contract's fully guaranteed, but can Arizona get out of that Kyler contract? Uh, well, they'd have to take a massive dead cap hit. I think going forward after this year, they'd owe him about $40 million cash, but the dead cap hit would be over $100 million. Oh, boy. But, yeah, I mean, so they would they would mortgage an entire year to do it. But, you know, if that's the price you got to pay, you got to pay it. I mean, Atlanta did it to get rid of Matt Ryan. The Eagles did it to get rid of Wentz. I mean, you know, the the Rams took on a huge cap hit to unload golf and bring on Stafford, but they won a Super Bowl in doing it. So, you know, it can be done. Yeah, and by the way, speaking of JT, uh, I bet you the Dolphin. I mean, I heard the that the Colts wanted Jalen Water for John Taylor. Like, Miami's not getting rid of Jalen Water for JT straight up. No, I, I think it further proves that the Colts are not serious. It's like they want to – it's like they don't want to – Play him or pay him. Correct. And in return, he's like, well, then I don't feel like playing for you. You know, my ankle still hurts from off-season surgery. It's not 100%. Okay. Maybe in Bell 2.0, maybe? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Don't think he's going to sit out the whole year. Remember, Le'Veon sat out and didn't get paid. JT's getting paid. But not playing. Yeah, okay, that's best of both worlds. If you're a running back, less wear and tear on you and you're still getting paid on, and you're not getting beat up on a bad team, I mean, it's the perfect scenario. And then uh, I know it's uh, I know it's a week and a half away, but uh, Monday night, September 11th, uh, Bills, Jets. Wow, that is, I, I mean, on, I don't remember Monday night season, many Monday night seasons and openers this crazy. Josh Allen and the Bills, Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. Wow. There's a lot of similarities between Rodgers joining the Jets and when Brady joined the Bucks. You know, the Jets were a seven-win team hindered by awful quarterback play, but had a good defense. And if they could just get their hands on a quarterback, the Bucks were coming off a seven-win season, and Winston turned the ball over over two dozen, three dozen times. And if Bruce Arian said, if we just could have had a good quarterback and Tom Brady walks in and there's a defense and a lot of talented offensive players around him, and we all know what happened. And so will that happen with the Jets? I mean, remember, the Bucs were the losingest franchise in North American sports since 1976, the day Brady joined them. They were. Their winning percentage was worse than you name it. The Sacramento Kings, the L.A. Clippers, the Detroit Lions, you, the Browns. You name the franchise. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning percentage the day Brady joined them was the worst in North American sports. And we saw what happened. And here's Rodgers joining the Jets, in which their image and reputation is similar. One guy can change a lot, and yet for the Bills, it's Super Bowl or bust. 
there's there are two big differences though I see between Brady joining the Bucks and Rodgers joining the Jets. One, Bruce Arians was an offensive mind coach, and um, the Jets have a defense mind coach. And two, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line is offense line was significantly better than the Jets offensive line. Now we know Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to run at this point. I'll give you the offensive line. Okay, because they went and drafted Wirfs and put him at right tackle, and it was the perfect plug-and-play guy. And Donovan Smith still had another good year or so left in him at left tackle, and you're right. All right, the Bucks' offensive line was terrific, and you don't think the Jets' offensive line is going to be as good as Tampa Bay's was in 2020 and 2021, et cetera. But remember who the offense coordinator is with the Jets. He's the guy that Rodgers had in Green Bay the two years he was the MVP or at least the last two years he was the MVP. So forget the fact that Salah's a defensive coach. Salah's going to have nothing to do with the offense except for calling an occasional timeout. I mean, so this is Rodgers running the offense the way Peyton ran the offense, the way Brady ran the offense, quite frankly, in Tampa. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is the assistant head coach and offense coordinator of the Jets. Don't worry about that. And he's got his guy calling the plays for him who the last two times they worked together, Rodgers went back-to-back MVPs. And for the Bills, I mean, coming off that nasty playoff taste, I mean, I feel like Josh, I mean, everybody thinks Dak Prescott's under the most pressure of the win. I feel like Dak, I mean, uh, Josh Allen's under the most pressure of the win because Joe Burrow's gotten in a Super Bowl. Mahomes has got has been the three Super Bowls, winning two of them. Jalen Hurts has been in a Super Bowl. Josh Allen's not been on the game's biggest stage. Plus, there were a lot of issues with the Bills last year. The clock issues in Miami. The I don't know what happened in the Minnesota game. The Jet game where, and then the playoff debacle against Cincinnati. This is a big year for Josh Allen and the Bills. Well, okay, I'll argue with you in this sense. What's going to happen to Josh Allen if this year doesn't go well? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's a big year for the Bills. I mean, their window with this core, you could argue, you know, how much longer is Von Miller going to be able to be Hall of Fame Von Miller? And you saw the difference when he got hurt last year. The Bills were a top five team in getting pressure on the passer and getting sacks. He gets hurt on Thanksgiving, and the Bills were a bottom third team in getting pressure on the passer, even though they started blitzing like one of the top 10 teams in the league. So Von Miller, who's going to miss the first four games, is very key to what the Bills are going to do in the AFC playoffs this year. But Josh Allen cemented a quarterback. I mean, they could he could get hurt. They could go 6-11. and 11. Josh Allen's not going anywhere. Dak's a different story. You know, if Dak and the Cowboys don't have a really good year, the head coach is going to get fired. And he's the offensive coordinator this year as well. Ooh. And then Dak's going to enter the final year of his contract. And Jerry's going to start thinking about moving on. So it is a key year for 30-year-old Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. For Josh Allen, you know, it's another year to take a crack at it. I mean, he's got 10 more of them. Yeah, but uh, it's going to be a fascinating year, whether you're in college or the NFL. I mean, whether you're whether you're Florida, Utah tonight, or the game you're um, – well, it's in a week and a half. 
Dylan, I agree. Like in the Pac-12, the thought is there's six good teams in the Pac-12. You know, in the SEC, the thought is there's three or four good teams. There's three really good teams in the Big Ten East. They're all ranked in the top seven in the preseason polls. I mean, the competition this year in college football could be ultra intense. Two top ten teams in the ACC, and they have to go through each other maybe twice. And in the NFL, I mean, you know, D, I've been saying for months now, if you make the playoffs in the AFC, I think you're capable of going to the Super Bowl. Because think about who you're going to have to go through just to make the playoffs. The thought is there's three good – well, but there's three good teams in the East, okay? There's at least three good teams in the North. Some people think there's four. Sports Illustrated picked all four teams in the North to win 10 or more games. And Jackson, you got and Jacksonville, and then you got two teams in the West with Denver looming out there as an ultimate wild card with Russell Wilson and Sean Payton both with something to prove. I mean, there are some that feel there are 10 good teams in the AFC. I think if you make the playoffs in the AFC, you will be capable of beating anybody. And that hasn't always been the case if you look the last two years. The seven seeds in both conferences have been pretty weak teams. I don't think that's going to be the case this year, particularly in the AFC. I think just to get in the playoffs in the AFC, minimum 10 wins, and you're going to have to be a good to very good team just to make the playoffs. My sleeper team, by the way, first off, I think Jacksonville is going to have a tremendous year. Minimum 11 wins, maybe 12. And I think the Steelers win at least 11 games. And if I had to make a sleepy pick, I'll take the Steelers to win the North. I've heard a few people like the Steelers this year, especially because how good Kenny Pickett. They've got two wide receivers, two tight ends, two tailbacks. They've got so much depth on the offensive line. They just traded two linemen on cut down day. And the quarterback, most people think is the real deal. And the defense is one of the top five in the league at rushing the passer. If their two ends stay healthy, they're a sack machine. I'm telling you, the Steelers are dangerous and people forget they finished winning six of their last seven. I think six of eight, six of seven to end last season. And people are sleeping on them. And Mike Thomas never had a losing season in Pittsburgh. Hall of Fame coach. Okay. And that roster is much better than it was the last year or so under Ben. Much. All right, David. Thanks for hopping on. Uh, Hopefully, uh, wish you all the best as you're in Jackson with your sister, with your uh, daughter's wedding. Yes. Thank you. And, uh, and, uh, this foot and uh, hopefully this football season just as is just as wild and crazy as we both think it is. I'll tell you what, if it could just go according to plan, if you know what I mean. If the teams, if most of the teams that we think are going to be good in co- Saturdays and Sundays can stay healthy, we will have a terrific football season.